Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of Answer This Advice with Frank. And uh, this week, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to try something different for the first time. And I'm taking advantage of the fact that my first child, my oldest, is here with me. So we decided to do an episode together. I told her I was going to do it when she was coming down. You know, we did a little test run and the vibes was pretty cool. So I figured, let's kick it off and try it. And the reason I wanted to do it with her was because I feel she has a lot to offer as far as information coming out of college, you know, 23 years old, trying to step into the world, right? That's the independence in a sense. Um, Given a background, growing up in the Bronx, leaving New York City, moving down south to Louisiana, New Orleans, to go to Loyola, and then not only that, doing six months abroad, studying in England, and then coming back and finishing. And then in the middle of a senior year saying, hey, COVID-19 kicked off, so you got to pack your stuff and you got to go. And she moved to Florida, my mother, to finish that up. So I think that with a lot of people getting ready to go to college now, uh, freshmen getting ready to leave home, uh, she can offer some sound advice to the parents, to the children. Not only that, um, just to give a backdrop on how her growing up in New York City helped her grow. And maybe some advice on what she, to look for for these seniors going into their senior year of high school, getting ready to apply for colleges here soon. She can provide some of those tips as well. And then, you know, we're just going to go with the flow and see where it goes. But initially, the whole thing is I wanted her to share her experience so that she can get everything out there. And like I initially said in my first introduction episode, I want you to know me. And what better person to get to know first than my first child? The reason that I did a lot of different things in life and I screwed up a lot of stuff <laughs> and, and tried to perfect it. But she's the reason. So I'm going to introduce herself. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. I feel like this is like those icebreakers when you start anything new and you have to go around the room. Um, my name is Cherise. I'm the oldest. Uh, I graduated this past spring, thankfully, uh, from Loyola, uh, excuse me, Loyola University in New Orleans. Um, and I'm excited to be here today. I'm really happy my dad did this. Um, it's inspiring to have a parent do something that they've said they're going to do and then just kind of go with it. So I'm here to support and here to participate and have really good conversations. We have a lot of conversations off the mic that are really interesting, so we're going to bring some of that uh, to you guys on the podcast and see where that goes. So hope you guys enjoy. Uh, hope you guys pull a lot of things from what we're going to say, um, and I'm ready. So also today we got to celebrate one thing. Uh, it's my niece's first birthday, oh, Ama. Yeah. So happy birthday, Ama. Go, Ama. Go, Ama. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sucks because we were so supposed to be in Florida for this birthday. And my sister's in New York, so COVID-19 shut everything down. You know what I'm saying? And now my sister's in New York, not celebrating her daughter's, her first child's first birthday like she wanted to, but we send our love and we send everything out there to her. And hopefully tomorrow the Zoom call will be lit and we can see a, a little baby uh, cut that cake or eat the cake, you know, and put her whole face in it. So to start off, I want to ask you, how was it for you growing up in New York, in the Bronx, uh, essentially a single parent household because I was in the Navy, I was gone, your mom was doing it, and being our only child for a while, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> how, how do you, how, how was that growing up? Um, it was cool. I mean, like when... Frankie, I, okay, so I had an unusual introduction to being a sister. Um, most people, oh, look, we're having one baby. No, I got two siblings. I got two brothers. Three days apart. Three days apart. So same year, same month, three days apart, which tells me y'all was doing some things around the same time. And boom, here we go. Yeah. Two brothers. Um, and I was rocking solo for, what, like seven, about seven years. So, like, I think... At seven, like if I would have been 10, I probably would have been more tight. So I think seven is like that that age where it's like, okay, I guess it's fine that it happened now, you know, whatever. And that was a hard adjustment. You're like, I think it's hard because my parents weren't together. Like you and mommy weren't together. And then you both started your own new partnerships. And then like, boom, you both have two new children. So it's like getting smacked from both ends. Like, oh no. And then like feeling like, am I still seen? Am I still heard? Like, am I still important and um I think that was like the biggest challenge but um you know I was mostly at grandma and grandpa's house so it was, that was the life I used to run the streets when it was safer than <laughs> I can go down the block with a friend or across the street just had to be back at a certain time I had like a lot more freedom 
and I experienced a lot of things that I feel like maybe my brothers and sisters probably didn't have the privilege of experiencing just being in the city, having those summers, having the little icy man in the parks with the sprinklers. Um, my mom sent me to camp. So I think that's a lot. Like I know he mentioned that I traveled. I think a lot of me wanting to get out and see new things um, and kind of feeling comfortable. Don't get me wrong. Those things are so scary, but feeling comfortable is because my mom sent me away at mm -hmm. a young age to the Fresh Air Fund. Yeah, um, the Fresh Air Fund. That's when you go out, right? You, you yeah. You can stay with the host family within the United States, um, or you can do like the camp camp experience where you're in the woods and you got the cabins and stuff. I opted for the families. My first time I stayed with this Amish family. Um, normally, because the kids are younger, they send you to Amish families. Mm -hmm. Kind of like dip your toes in it. And that was different within itself. But I think, I don't know, growing up in the Bronx, I think it, or just in a city like New York, I think it made me more mature or it made me kind of more street smart or more hip to certain things that if I had been in a more rural place or another place, I probably, you know, wouldn't adjust the same. I think it gave me a lot of social capital to just be able to navigate the world when I mm -hmm. left New York. And I think that was good on your mom's part to send you to do Fresh Air Fund. Um because you met a good family, and, and do you yeah, still keep three, in contact with them? Um, well, okay, so I had, I think I stayed in total with three families. So, like, the first one, I was there for a couple years. They stopped doing the program. They had seven kids, y'all. So, all of them named Jay, so I couldn't blame them for not being able to do it anymore. <laughs> um, it was too much for them. Really sweet family. Um, second one was the Hart family. Every year, guys, to this day, she sends me a birthday card mm. with money. Ever since I, and we haven't spoken for years, but she's always like she always encourages me to hit her up and you know say hey, yeah. um, and I loved her so much. She was so dope. Um, she had an older daughter, um, and then there was uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot her name. My sis, it'll come back. Oh Donna, there we go. Donna Yancey, she lives upstate. I stayed with her longer, and I actually stopped doing the fresher fun around like. I think you kind of age out. I think it goes into like 13 mm -hmm. or 14. So I, instead of doing a, a camp counselor kind of gig, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see Donna on my own, you know, got a bus ticket, did the, sh did the whole spiel, whatever, and I went to go see her. Um, and she was lovely too. Mm -hmm. So I saw three families, but I don't talk to her um, anymore either. Not because I don't want to. It's just kind of like, you know, it passes and you think back on it and you just kind of move well, on. Well, life happens. Yeah. You life know? happens. And yeah, we... I'm pretty sure if I popped up, she wouldn't mind. Like, yeah. she'd still be like, oh, hey, like, wow, I haven't heard from you. How's How are you doing? And stuff like that. It'd be chill. I think, um, so you mentioned something earlier. You said uh, when you was growing up and you spent a lot of time at my parents' house at uh, on Creston Ave, it was a different vibe, right? A different environment at the time when you were coming up than when Frankie and Justin mm -hmm. were born and then the progression of time, yeah. which made me think about when we started actually spending more time on Creston because initially when they bought the house, we spent more time in the South Bronx than we did on Creston Avenue. And and Creston was very different than um, in that neighborhood. At least you could fall asleep with the window open and nobody would come in. And the, through the years that have passed and when you came into the world, it was very different, you know, but you still had some of that uh, neighborhood friendly environment where you could felt comfortable sending them down the block and get something from the store. Or, yeah, everybody or, knew everybody. Exactly. Yeah. So... You know, I think another thing, like I said, when you mentioned um, earlier that the traveling part probably probably came from that. Your mom actually enro enrolling you into Fresh Air Fund, made, pushing you in a sense mm -hmm. out the house, meet a whole nother family. I think that opened up your eyes to a different culture as well. Like you said, your first family was Amish, right? Oh, yeah. They had no TV and me being me. I was like, you don't got TV. Like, what? <laughs> or, oh, no, this was the thing. I used to say, oh, my God, you know? And, like, for me not coming from a particularly religious background, like, obviously grandma is Christian. Now you're Christian. At the time, though, and now my mom's Muslim, but at the time, you know, nobody ever forced that on me. It was more so I want you to see what's in the world and I want you to choose for yourself what resonates with you, what, what faith and path you want to follow. So I'm with this Amish family. I say, oh, my God. And they'd be like... <gasps> You know, like we'd be around other people and they'd be like, we're sorry. Like, you know, she doesn't, she's not from here. And I'm in like Pennsylvania. Like she doesn't know. And it's not that far, but, or, you know, or they like did, they had a, they had a backyard with a farm and they have land and like they, you know, weren't afraid to get their hands dirty or they go to the local supermarket with no shoes on. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Or, you know, they would, <laughs> they would use the, they would follow the, this the what is it the the seat you oh the car seat the car seat law so they had their twelve year old 
in a car seat. So I'm eight. And you remember me when I was eight. I was, I'm a tall girl. I'm a big mm-hmm. girl. I was chunky. I had my, my chunky face at the time. They really put me in a booster seat in the car. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I just remember in New York, I'm like, seatbelt on. Like, it was just a lot of different different things, prayers. And we went to church. Um, that was fun. Their church had a lot of really fun activities. And I rode a horse for the first They actually taught me how to swim, that family. Because their grandma had a big pool and mm. she had a water slide. And the cousin... They had a, a cousin. He was like, no, don't worry. Just jump. We'll catch you. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, it's going to, I don't know. But like, it was fine. So I had a lot of good times with them and all the other families. Like, I saw so many different things I, I would never have, like, ever seen growing up in the city. And, and you, yeah, you do see something different when you leave outside of the mm-hmm. city. I, I, you know, remember going to these different uh, timeshares that my parents had. Oh and, yeah, Poconos. Yeah, the Poconos, <laughs> which everybody goes to from yeah. the Bronx, but like Sturbridge, Massachusetts, um, Circle M in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Went to a few different ones, and you got to see something different. So now you're, that's your childhood. You're coming up. You're, you're in school. Your mom always talked about how you had good grades. Yeah, um, she always making me read. I remember one time I went to a doctor. And um, I'm just standing there, and she's like, here, read this. And it was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And she really had me, like, sit there and read that to her. <laughs> I'm like, can I not, not sit in the corner like any other kid with, like, a Game Boy or something? She's like, no. Um, and she did a really good job at, you know, I didn't mention her the childhood part not because she wasn't there, but she definitely exposed me to a lot of other things. She would take me to museums and make sure me, you know, I got out, even with her sisters or mm-hmm. Leah, she would take us to do different things in Central Park and elsewhere. So, Yeah. And I mentioned in in, pre, in my my second episode, um, your mom grew up with you. You know, um, we me and Serena were both teen parents. I was seventeen, and Serena was fifteen, turning sixteen when you were born. And this is like big. You know, she's she was a sophomore in high school, uh, figuring life out. And I I think a lot of the stuff that you did with her and and that y'all did together was her also growing. You know, in a mm-hmm. sense. So now you're 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 doing good in school. Um, Explain your middle school years, you know, like, because uh, I think that's very important. Um, you mentioned in conversations, you've said that you feel like you grew up too fast. So you did a lot too early, right? Yes. So like you was trying to get, you was getting on these straight A's and through K through five or six or whatever. Then you get to middle school and you keep pushing. Now you're in high school and all of a sudden, boom, it's like you like get burnt out in a sense, right? Yeah. So explain, so let's, let's. Talk about the middle school years. How do you feel your middle school years went in that time frame of growing? Because that's when you kind of become a young lady in a sense, yeah. right? And and things. Um, middle school was interesting. So I went to Frederick Douglass Academy. I went to the fifth one. Um, and it was really small. So we literally had like one floor. Um, and I was the top student. Like I would have been valedictorian. I was like a point, like, and I beat him every year, Gabriel, and he used to be mad. So it was cool. I had like healthy competition. We were like the two top students, you know, um, and I think he beat me like point something by point something. Um, and I was like, oh man, like, cause it's like I had it in the bag. I was like, I'm not worried. Like, I'm not tripping. Then boom, he got me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? You work for this. Cause I had you for three years. And you came back in the end, like, you know, so it was cool. Respect to him. He's doing really great things. Um, but it was cool. Like I, my thing was, I was, I was always doing what I had to do. So like, I literally would finish my work and read like, and teachers couldn't say anything because it's like, okay, she has, she has A's, like she has the highest grade she could possibly get. She does all of her work. She finished early. Like what more can we do? Mm -hmm. And look, she's productively reading. She's not, you know, doing silly things in the back or talking to other people, distracting other students. Like, you know, um, I've been at a teacher one time. Uh, she was really dope, Miss Esserado. She came through. She had been a lawyer, decided to just switch over to education, and um, she gave me the opportunity to earn some money at school by helping her like file things. Um, my problem in middle school was, um, it wasn't necessarily my problem. It was that I went to school with a lot of kids that um, they were bad, you know. Like, and I don't blame them necessarily, but I had to always, you know, it's like if one gets punished, we all get punished. So I always had to, you know, fall in line with that, even if I was known to have a good reputation where I wasn't a troublemaker. Like I had never really, really gotten detention for anything. I never really started any problems. I never got into fights. Like I was always reading. Like that's that's really where my whole like reading phase started. Like that's when I used to go to Barnes and Noble like every weekend, you know, had twenty dollars buying three books. I'd run through them in like a couple of days, like 
that's just really what it was. Um, and it was cool, you know, and I loved books. And it, I think the biggest problem for me is just having to deal with the fact that other children weren't like me. And that was okay, but I always had to, like, suffer because of it um, and always be lumped in to that category, you know, without even, you know, having done anything really. I remember there was one time, because our eighth grade class, like they almost canceled our prom. No, I think they did. They canceled our prom, you know, Uh, because everyone was bad. And it's like, but wait, I didn't do anything. Like I'm not the one always turning up. So like there was this one time we were getting reprimanded in the class and I've been sitting down and I'm tired of this by this point. Cause I'm like, how many times I gotta come in here and talk to us? How many times do we have to sit through this? Like literally wasting class time keeping us in a room, you got the deans and everyone talking to you, you know, reprimanding you, giving you the talks, like, you guys need, this is not right, you know, yada, 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 okay, boom. I already know that, like, I don't need to be told how to behave because Mm -hmm. I behave. That's fine. And quite frankly to me, maybe there's a reason why they're not listening. Did you think about that? Like, why, that's, you know, but anyway. The flip side to that. Right, you know, know, but anyway, and I remember that it was a school safety officer. I wish I had her, her name. Because I, I don't know why she was talking to me crazy like this, because it was very unwarranted. School safety officer, sis, you don't even work in our school. You work for everybody else. You could be sent to a, another school mm-hmm. next week, but I digress. So anyway, I was sitting down, and I remember I had a book under the desk. Because I was reading. I'm tired of listening to y'all. I want to <laughs> yeah. read. Like This book is way better than any words you could be giving me right now, any information that you can be giving me right now. So she takes it upon herself to stop and be like, oh, are we boring you? Because I think she assumed that I was like on my phone or like doing yeah. something else. And I had looked around. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, are we boring you? And I'm like, well, no, like I'm just like reading. And a little, I'm like, ma'am, like I'm going to be the salutatorian. Like little do you know, like you are judging me like other people in the world would judge us and mm-hmm. other things. And you're assuming the worst in me. I was like, that's probably the problem we have here is that you assume the worst in all of us. And then guess what? They're gonna give you the worst, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, I got punished for reading. <laughs> like, yeah. like I've got punished for doing what you want us to do, which is to elevate our reading scores, yeah. which is crazy." And I just didn't even say anything to her. And I'm like, "Out of all the people in the room, you could you came for me. Like, that's really wild. Like, you must not know who I am. Like, not to be on that, but like, literally, yeah, you don't like, know my grades. That's you don't know the my that's the pull I had. Like, I you know." I think uh, no one was beating my grades. I never liked community punishment. I, I, me personally, I never did. And when I went to basic uh, training, and I was in boot camp, um, that's a, there's a lot of that in the military. You know, and, and you you uh, one person doesn't doesn't do his rack right or doesn't fold the sheets right, then everybody gets punished. I think it was towards the end of boot camp. Uh, you know, I had a uh, uh, I, I'm not gonna say come to Jesus moment, but I, I had a brain fart in a sense. <laughs> I forgot where I was at, and the RDC was like. Emmer Crew Ferrer, why why you compl- I said, look, man, this dude ain't I said Petty Officer, he ain't fold his clothes yet in the last eight weeks. He's not gonna fold his clothes no more. And I'm, I'm tired of getting punished for right. everybody. Mm-hmm. Um so I was never big I was never big I, I'm still not to this day a big fan of that community punishment. And I feel like people uh you said uh judging, right? Or or thinking that every student is the same. Right. That also reminded me of a time when I was uh, in Pensacola doing instruct duty. And I first got there. When you first get there, you know, you're like the instructor that wants to help everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the instructors there had like this salty, bad, every student's going to screw you over type mentality, right? right. And I, at first, I was like, man, why you got like that? And I'm like, oh, wait, wait until you get here for a year. You've been here, wait until you be here for a year, year and a half, two years, and you didn't been screwed over by these students. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to look at all the same. Right. And it's like, no, if that's how you feel, don't do this. Exactly. If that's how you feel, don't do this. Because that should tell you that there's a problem that needs to be fixed, and the problem isn't the students necessarily. And that's where I just I just don't then, appreciate going it. Going back to Team Petty, right? Um, because when you said that you graduated, you lost by like a point or something <laughs> yeah. to the kid. I think that was a year, me and Honestly, Mel. my speech was better. Everyone yeah, yeah, told me. Yeah, it was better. He came up there like, woo, and I'm like, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah forget him. You know what I'm saying? Boo, <laughs> that's, boo my, that's my friend. That's my friend, though. I don't want to like, maybe he might hear this. Nah, like, he got to really? relax. He got to relax. Nah, he's, he's cool. I met him again in OpNet in high school, which is crazy. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that OpNet in high school here in a minute. And, and I remember that day you graduated, me and Mel in the back, which is. Um, Mel's big in, in Sharice's life as her stepdad in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um, I, shout out to Mel. I, I respect him. I think he's the only man that I would let you call a stepdad in, in front of me, you know? He's the only other guy that called me his daughter. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so 
Mel, big, big, big respect to Mel. But anyway, we're there, and the kid won, and, and me and Mel's like, boo, like, not clapping. <laughs> Nikki and Serena's like, Frank, stop. And I'm just like, whatever. He, boo, you know, get out of here. You suck. Go sit the bench. You're not worthy. So you go, you, you graduate middle school. Obviously, your grades are good. You're doing great. Oh, yeah. Well, there was that bullying thing I would like to say, too. I don't okay. like to call it bullying because it really, it didn't have affect me like I, I don't want to give them the I don't even want to give them a power and call them a bully because mm-hmm. it wasn't but it was just this one girl who was just hurt so she wanted to hurt other people and she literally like she was so bad the school administration wanted to get her out the school but they couldn't do it legitimately mm-hmm. like they didn't they needed a reason and they just couldn't but she was always causing problems always starting problems and this is the first time I realized like I had a voice and a sense of leadership because a lot of people were tired of it. There was a lot of other girls that would just... And I wasn't the one to take it, which is why I said I wasn't pressed and she didn't bully me. I just got tired. And instead of popping off and punching her in the face, grandma told me, she's like, no, have a meeting with the school. You know, do that first. So that way it's on record. Like, look, I try to resolve this issue. You know, like yeah. I said something about it. And if it escalates and I do punch her in the face, you knew about it and you chose not to do anything. Cool. So... We try to handle that. She was just rude. So I spoke to the other girls, and I'm like, don't make me go out here on a limb and be like, yo, I'm having this meeting, and I invite you guys in here. And when it comes time to pop off and talk to me. And it's crickets. And it's crickets. Yeah, like statues. Oh, I don't know why Sharice told me to come in oh, she's here. She's crazy. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, get her out. So it was just me and my friend Amber. Mm-hmm. And I knew Amber was going to be like, I just don't know why you don't like me. Because really, there was no reason for her to pop off. And then when we actually got to the root of it, because it was three of them as a trio, and they were followers and mm-hmm. followed after the big bad one that never came to school. When we talked about it, I said, you guys are mad at me for something that you started a year ago. I was like, I never... And it, you know what it was? You, We were in a park outside for recess, and they were bullying people, telling them, you can't do this, you can't sit here. I said, who runs the, the playground? First of all, we don't even own this school building. There are two other schools in here, so this is not only our playground... But the elementary school mm-hmm. and everyone below us. So yeah. you don't own anything. I'm sorry to tell you that. The school doesn't even own this. So they were like, they was on Rikers Island trying yeah, to Yeah, like the, run the, it up, the, like move. The recreation or, room. And one of them used to talk to this other girl really crazy. I'm like, don't let her talk to you like that. Yeah. Like, so they were mad at me because I stood up for myself. And I told them, I was like, that time that that happened, I was like, that was because of you. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. My bad. So two of them apologized. One girl had admitted, like, you know what? I really, you know, I was bullied too. And she's like, and I'm sorry that I did that to you because I know what it feels like. And she had like a genuine emotion, like got emotional. So she was the only one mm-hmm. that actually apologized and meant it. Um, but that happened. So check on your kids. You know, don't be afraid to go to schools. Um, I feel like in inner city schools, I won't say bu- bullying does not exist, but I think the culture of us clowning each other and being hard on each other is a way like we bond. So like I think bullying the way you see it in a lot of these specials and things like that where it's super harsh. Um not to say that it doesn't happen, but I don't see it as much because I think more people are more inclined to be like, hey, yo, who you talking to? Like, why would you do that to her? Yada, yada, yada. You know, I think a lot of the bullying comes from what happens outside of school, on phones, on other things, you know? So. I, I experienced bullying in my middle school years. And uh, what happened for me was I went, I stopped going to school in the South Bronx. And for a while, I never talked about this because I felt like if you talk about it, you look like a herd, right? You're a bum. Get out of here. We're going to rob you. And um, But it, it's part of life. And it, it, I think it helped me grow and, and be more stand up for myself. And when mm. it was, I started going to school to 143 right by where you guys, you know, right there. And nobody knew me. You know, growing up in the South Bronx, everybody knew me mm. from that area, those neighborhoods. Right. And I think people don't understand that growing up in New York City is not like growing up anywhere else. Uh, you could be in the Bronx and never go to another part of the Bronx Seriously. and just stay in your part of your Bronx, yes. right? So I, my parents bought this house on Creston, but we spent most of my time from pre-K all the way to sixth grade. I was in on Brook Avenue, right? And then all of a sudden I tell my mother, I don't want to go to Catholic school, so send me to public school. And what happens, I get zoned in my school, which is 143. And then um, I get there, nobody knows me. And all these kids have been going to school together from mm-hmm. public school That's and all I, that. Yep. So a lot of the kids moved They up. know each mm-hmm. other, yes. And I'm the new kid. So I had a little phase there, and I got in trouble. I got actually suspended. Your grandma punished me. It was crazy. <laughs> That's another story. But um, it, it was real. It was it was yeah. bad, and I never experienced it. you know. And yeah. I'm not going to speak on why I didn't experience it in the South Bronx, but I just never did. Yeah. And to go to a new place where nobody knows you, I kind of hated it for a little bit there. But... I grew up too. I grew up and and it helped me 
understand what it felt like to be bullied and not to do it to anybody else. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Just because it's I'm really bigger. really isolating. Or, exactly. And like, you know, I think especially at that age, because you're like 13, but like you're really starting to have that, oh my gosh, like what what am I? Like, you know, like you're a girl, you get periods and you're yeah. bi- Like, you know, everyone's going through puberty. Everyone's like thinks thinking they're starting to be grown now. Like, oh, I'm about to go to high school, but you still, you realize you're still a baby when you mm-hmm. get to high school, you know? Like it's a weird time. And I think to have someone else try to, you know, attack your character or your being or anything like that or your sense of self insecurity at that time, it sucks. And and it's like not a great it's not a great thing. So now I wanna fast forward. You're in high school, right? You go to school downtown Manhattan, right? Well yeah. uh, what street was that? In the, it was Trinity Place. So it was right behind Trinity Church. So Wall Street, I would take the four train to Wall Street, get off and it was right behind the church. Which I think is dope. It's better than me going to school in Kenny High School. Oh yeah, I was ripping Walking it through Marble Hill projects and stuff. <laughs> we got mad train lines. <laughs> I got to go there's Battery Park, like I you get I, to walk down the water, like all types of stuff. I took the train to come see you. Probably, yes, we yeah. did. After yeah. school, I picked you up. We went down to South Street. We had, I think, you put me onto Chipotle for the first time. We oh, went yeah. to that one spot. TBT, yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't take uh, mass transportation. Yeah, I, I don't was take like, trains. You took the train. I'm very paranoid, <laughs> but that's a, that's a, you know that's a whole other story for another podcast, but another episode. So we go down there. So now, what I want to do is I want you to explain um, uh, the growing up in high school. You know, I. The, Going through the process, starting oh as a freshman. I would not trade it. I would not go back. Like <laughs> It was so... Everything in high school feels... Like, not that to invalidate your feelings, because it's really real, but I feel like you feel everything, like, 10 times it's harder. Extra. It's so dramatic. It's and extra. then you realize, yo, I was tripping then. I should have saved all that for now Facts. when I really have stuff to trip about. Listen. And it's just a lot. Like, it was a time. It was a wonderful time sometimes to reminisce, but I don't think I would go back, like, so quite now, frankly. So, okay. <laughs> so, what, so now you're a senior in high school, right? Yeah. What is your advice? I want, I want to talk about what's your advice to seniors that are starting in September or August or wherever they're at in their states, wherever you listen to this, and you start your senior year. What are some of your advices for these kids that are getting ready to apply for colleges? Um Looking yeah. at their grades, yeah. you know. Well, I senior year, that's like the junior year is really when you do the college and the grades thing. So okay. by the time senior year comes around, you're probably doing last minute touches, hearing back from places. Um, I think for me, because I feel like there's an immense amount of pressure, because you're 18, 17, some people, um, and you're like, okay. Like I have to get into college. This is where my life starts. I have to do this. Like this is what's gonna set me up for the rest of my life. And I think to think like that is really damaging because your life is an ongoing journey of change and and influxes and ebb and flow. And I think to think that this one decision you're making now is just gonna you know, set the tone for everything else. Like it's set in stone, it's not true. And mm-hmm. I think we make choices in that frame of mind and I don't think that's healthy. So for me, you know, some some somebody might get a letter and it'll tell them no you can't come here and in my mind if what i'm saying is if it does not work out now you can do it next year or the mm-hmm. year after i think we are taught that there's supposed to be a specific way to do something a timeline like you have to follow this path you have to do xyz to get to here and i don't i just don't think that's valid like i don't think that's true um, cuz what i do is not the same as what what you're going to do or what you need to do for yourself, you know? And I think for people out there that feel like school or higher education is not for you, I think that's okay, too. I'm here to tell you that it's okay. If everyone else is looking at you crazy and being like, what, and you feel dread, like, I don't know what to do, it's okay. That's just not your path, you know? So if it doesn't work out now, it doesn't mean it can't happen. Just don't let go of that, you know? Don't let go of what you want to do. I think at this point in time, people really get stuck up in making a choice for yourself, but it's really riddled with a lot of everyone else's desires, mm-hmm. you know? Um, some people go to certain schools because their parents went to that school. Some people cho- cho- choose to go to school because, oh, my family said I can't do this and I can't afford it, you know? And that's a real thing to worry about. But at the same time, you never know what happens when you go for that reach school. You never know what they can offer you. I don't think money should always be a reason to not do something, especially when it comes to higher education. Mm -hmm. I would feel better knowing that I applied and got in and decided to say, no, I'm good, I can't, than never having tried it all and wonder what would have happened. True. You feel me? You know, because it's just, it's for you. So all that to say, I think this is a time, because you're going to be independent and because a lot of what goes on from here on out, 
you're you're expected to be an adult. You're expected to fend for yourself. It's okay yeah. to have support. I'm not saying that you're going to be thrown to the wolves. What I'm saying is you're going to have to make choices for yourself now. And everything that you do should be in your best interest of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start doing that, everything else becomes a little easier because you're not clouded by like, you know, in- insecurities and anxieties from other people. Like you have enough of that on your own. You don't need all that. Yeah. So for senior year at that point, most of the battle is done. I think it's about enjoying the last year of that time of your life mm-hmm. because you move on. It's another chapter. Um, you know, you do spirit week, you do things with your friends. You know, I think it's a, it's important to enjoy that time and start using that year kind of to just, you know, plan for your first year at, at school. You know, don't wait until the summer. You know, if you, you're getting letters, you accept them, you get your decisions. Yeah, you got, you know, classes and last minute tests. But at that point, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. Or finish strong. You know, some people, I know somebody, I think he was like biggest turnaround, ended up leaving with like almost 100 grade average. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And he was someone that you probably wouldn't think. Like you would label him, you would track him. Like, okay, track this kid. He's not going nowhere. Keep him in the same mediocre thing. Mm -hmm. Don't challenge him, whatever. And he was like, nah. Came out, turned around. There was, for me, you know, um, you know your grandmother, how she is with education. Um, I I wish somebody would have, said that sooner. But one thing that your grandma always said was be the best at whatever you're going to be. Right. You know, um, if if you chose not to go to college, then obviously, which I didn't do, I took a different path, um, then be the best that you're going to be at that because right. you've got to be successful, Yeah, right? keep the same energy. Like, yeah, yeah. it's not up to me to tell you that's stupid or don't do this a waste of time. Like, show me that it's not a waste of time, exactly. you know? So now, you, you what's your recommendation um, for, for kids applying to college? How many colleges do you think they should apply to? Um, when I was in OpNet, they told me I should be applying to 24, 25. Okay, and what's OpNet? The people oh, don't know what OpNet right. is. Right. Hi, guys. This OpNet's going to be so proud of me. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> OpNet is the Opportunity Network. It is um, a nonprofit organization that's actually grown um, in the past years since I've joined. Um, they take youth from underrepresented areas, underprivileged areas in, in public schools, mm-hmm. and they give them the social capital that they need, uh, the educational capital, economic, what you name it. They are basically your support system. Uh, they do professional development. So through that program, I got business cards. I know how to do an elevator pitch. I did speed networking events where I met professionals, um, know how to write professional emails, know how to leave voicemails, know how to do interviews. Um, not only that, but I got free SAT and ACT prep through them. Um, they got, hooked us up with financial aid advisors. So like a lot yes. of the students in our in our program are students that may be first generation um, immigrant children that maybe came to the States a few years ago and they're like busting their ass and doing their thing, um, trying to, to make it work. And, you know, so imagine people like that who just don't have the resources or find it hard to translate. And a lot of times their children are doing the translating for them. You know, it's a lot. So they gave us all of that. We had writing coaches. Uh, we actually met with the actual um, admissions people for a lot of the colleges that some of us are going to be applying to that gave us advice. Mm -hmm. So imagine that you meet the admissions counselor. You know them, you make a a nice little thing, and then when they see your application, by the time it comes around, dope. Um, Went on a college tour. Like, they did everything, and it was all for free as long as you got into the program. And we met weekly um, during the school year. So it starts from you apply sophomore year, and then you're with them if you get in um, up until you finish undergrad, and then you're an OpNet fellow, so that relationship doesn't really end ever. But your obligation to the program and showing up and doing events and things um, stays until you finish undergrad, and it's really cool. And you have this big network of people that do amazing things. Um, and even now, there's still a resource for me. So if you have anyone listening, if you're in New York City and you have a child um, and they're in their sophomore year of high school, um, I do urge you to apply. The class has gotten bigger, so I know they accept more people. At the time, they only accepted less than 100 students. Mm. Um, but like I said, they've grown since then, and it's really big now. And I think we had Daniel Craig and Gabrielle Union, and we do like the gala, and people come, and we have funders and people that donate and represent us, and it's really cool. So. Okay. So now, um, I'm net said 24. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question, put you on the spot. 
How many did you apply to? Okay, so remember when he was like, oh, I got burned out. So here's the thing. I was, even when I got to high school, uh, freshman year, still doing good. Sophomore year, still doing good. Maybe struggled in geometry or certain mm-hmm. classes. Junior year, dropped it. Like, that. the most important year that I've been gearing towards my whole life, I fucked up, y'all. I'm not going to lie. It was really bad. Like, my first... I don't know if it was a progress report or a report card. It was a 69 average. I've never gotten something like that. My mom was livid. Like, we were leaving school, and she was like, yep, say bye to your friends. You're never going to talk to them again. Say, yep, bye. And I'm like, oh, my God, guys. I remember the phone she, call. She's going to like, and I texted her before she got there because I'm not dumb. Like, unlike Justin or my other siblings, I'd rather keep it a buck up front. Give the heads up. So she's angry on the train. It may, you know, by the time she gets here, she's going to be a little mad, still mad, but not as mad. And like, she just, mm-hmm, and the t- you know, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? That's what she's doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, pray for me. Like, you know, and it was hard. And I think I just went through... I think I just worked so hard and I got burnt out. Like I was just tired and I think I went through a you know, a depressive like episode. Like I was a little depressed. Like I just that wasn't my concern anymore. Like I just didn't feel I had no motivation to do that. I was mm-hmm. still going to OpNet, I was still whatever. The SAT classes, I would sit there, I'm like, I'm confused. And I started to like doubt myself, like, are you dumb? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't you do what everyone else is doing? Like, where's your motivation at? Um I did something that no one should do, and I think it only worked out because it was me. Yeah. I didn't apply to 24 schools. Not at all. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. How no. many did you apply to? I think I applied to like 12, 10, or something, or five or something in three days. Like, in three, like I cried one night. Like, I cried, cried, cried. And I said, you know what? You need to get it together because I, you cannot go through this and not apply or not get into a school. Like, you mm-hmm. just can't. So I did that. And I applied, and I think... I got into yeah, I got into Loyola and I, I forgot the other schools I applied UConn. to. And I, I got, got and I UConn. got into UConn, which is a good school. Yeah. Like, um and I was surprised. I was like, oh shit, what? Um I think I applied to uh what was it? It's one of those schools in Ohio, very liberal arts, very like writing based. I don't know, it starts with an H. I forgot one my actual my English teacher went to that school and I asked her to write my recommendation letter. I didn't get into that school, but whatever. So did you apply to any HBCU schools? I didn't. No, I. I didn't. I don't know. In the end, I don't think that was what I wanted at the time. But I think maybe freshman year or sophomore year, Easter Ray came to New Orleans and she went to Dillard to do a talk, and I was like, "Damn, I wish I went to black, <laughs> historically, historically black college and university." And that when I went on that campus and I felt the vibes and I just saw so many like people that look like me or look like who I grew up around and. The, the vibe of being like an institution that wasn't a PWI or a predominantly white institution, the you know, I was like, man, did I miss out on something? Um, but I think going to school in New Orleans kind of made me feel like, no, I didn't, because I like the school I went to. I think it was in its greatest sense. Some people may disagree with me, but I don't think so. I think you it was diverse. It was a diversity you actually saw, not mm-hmm. on a pamphlet, but when you walked around campus. Yeah. Um, and being in a city like New Orleans, um, I think... You know, all of that kind of filled the void of what I would have been looking for if I had went to a school like Tulane instead. The culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm being New Orleans, uh, I'm going to New Orleans uh, a few times myself with uh, before you started attending school there. Um, hell, we even thinking about retiring there. Um, it's not, it, it, there's a lot of culture there. But so now you, you applied, you get accepted, you graduate, um, you're getting ready to attend your first uh, year of college. Your mom, Mel, Justin, and you packing a car that drive down from New York City, from yeah. the Bronx down to New Orleans, which I think is a dope thing. Yeah, that was and cool. And then Nikki really and I cool. came in tag team. After your mom yeah, left, we came in. that was cute, too, because at first, the first wave, I was like, oh, no, they're gone. Then I got my other parents came, and then Nikki was crying and stuff. And yeah. Then I felt more alone. <laughs> and, then, and, you know, shout out to Serena. Serena <laughs> did a good job uh, at the best that she could do, because she also went to college and got her degree. So let's, yeah. let's give her credit for that. So being a teen parent at 15, she didn't drop out of high school. She finished. She went on to college and got her degree. And then she ensured that her children had the best, uh, I want to say, educational information possible to, to excel and succeed. She's uh, very hands-on. Yeah. Yes. So I give her credit for that. A lot, of, uh, a lot of props to her because I wasn't around. So 
she she did that, and she had help, obviously, because it takes a village, like people say. However, her being the one constantly with you, so I give her credit for that. So Mel and, and Serena and Justin drive you down to New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. You get settled in. You you mentioned uh, in our conversation previously that after they left, you kind of felt sad, right? Like it hit you when you got back to your room, and you're like, "Oh my God, I'm here." Yeah, yeah, because it's like it's a you know I took a gap year, um, and. <laughs> I was 19 by the time I went to Loyola, right? So I was a little older than some of my peers. And it's a new thing. It's like that first day of school from elementary, from middle school, high school. It's like that all over again. Yeah. Except, you know, like I said, you thought you was growing in high school. You definitely feeling yourself when you get to college. And now when I look at freshmen, I'm like, oh, my God, these babies. I really thought I was growing when I came here. Even at 19, that's crazy. So that first night, you know, we have mixers. Like, my school was really good about... um you know, integrating us, making mm-hmm. sure we knew our class. And I and I love that because one, my school is really small. And two, I think that bonded my whole class, like my whole graduating class. Like even if I, you know, don't talk to you every day or like we weren't really close friends, like I know you enough to say hello. You know, I could dap you up. We can talk. It's cool. And it's all love. And that's what I really appreciate. So it's my first, you know, night. They left. I'm in my room. I haven't said anything up yet. I'm just looking around. My I have a roommate who's never there. And I'm like, okay, can't even connect that way. Yeah, we can't even talk. Can't even, I don't got nobody to talk to. And I met Jordan at the floor meeting that night. Jordan came in okay. late, right? So I had friends on the floor, but you're still at that phase. Like, I don't know if I should talk to them. Like, what do you do? You know, because you're there. It's not like you set anything up yet. It's not like you know the area yet. It's not like you know what's popping off to go where. Mm-hmm. So it's really up to you. And I think that sense of freedom of like, what do I do? And you don't, you can't look at anyone and ask them, what do I do? Is what college is, yeah. <laughs> especially that first year. And it can be really exciting and it can also be really scary. Um, and that was me. And I was a little sad at first. I missed my friends. Um, I, I didn't, I wasn't as comfortable. Like I said, it's not like I was home and I'm like, I can get on the train and go here. You know, I can go down the block here. You know, it wasn't like that. Um, and I made a group of friends with some people that I thought would be my friends. And then I was like, this wasn't for me. And then I found my real group, my family, my sisters, and I love them. Um, and I met them through Jordan. So I think Jordan we met at that floor meeting. She said, next to me, can I be your partner, bro? And I was like, yeah, we can be partners. Talk to each other. Did little icebreakers with my RA. And she had been roommates with Sadie. Um, and then I met Sadie. And because Jordan went to the uh, orientation all those months ago, mm-hmm. she introduced me to Kayla, Sierra, and Alexis. Um, and from there, it kind of just clicked. It kind of fit. And we never looked back. And then um, later, my friend Jay, I advocated for her because her roommate was this this white girl who would say some really left stuff, like Irish people built this country. Like, and my friend is very militant, and you know, it's kind of like it's which friend? Uh, my friend Jay. Sorry, okay. I can't believe I didn't say her name. She's amazing. Um, so that roommate I was talking about. She left, and then Jay, since she was struggling with that roommate, I advocated for her. I advocated for her so hard that the the RA for the whole building, like mm-hmm. the, she was like, wait, so who's trying to move? I said, no, miss, keep up. She needs to leave, and she's going to come <laughs> in my room because she's dealing with stuff she doesn't need to deal with. Like yeah. this, I'm like, what more? I'm like, there's no reconciling when you're in my face telling me Irish people built the country and you know I'm black and Puerto Rican and you're you're stealing stuff. You know, like, no, sis, like, you, when I'm not here, you got people on my bed. Mm-hmm. You know, no. You're not respecting. No, no, no. So, like, you know, why do I have to fight hard? And you'll realize college is one of those places that it will teach you a lot. But one of the things it will teach you that even if you go to that college, it is not perfect and it is still an institution. And sometimes you will have to use your voice and organize. And I think it creates that place you can do it while also being... A censored place. It's kind of weird to navigate, especially me going to Jesuit institution. Like yeah. I forgot about that sometimes, and about what we're able to advocate for, even if we are Jesuits and we're supposed to do community work and we're supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, have our hands in all of these things and help people. And we are liberal and we're very open. And we have students from all walks of life, from all communities, trans countries, you know, what or what have you, on campus. But then we can't do the vagina monologues and we can't have the money donated to, you know, you know what I'm saying? But you guys are teaching us to be, you know, the voice. Yeah. Like, so we have to organize within our own school to go against our own administrations. They don't give out condoms. It's a college. Like I get it. It's a Jesuit university, but we are on a college campus. Yeah. You have sexual assault cases happening. You know, people, you know, like, you know, 
there's certain things, there are things happening and you know that sex or is happening, you know? Not to say that, like, obviously sexual assault is unconsented sex, but, like, yeah. you know, but I'm saying, you know what's up. Like, you guys make us do all these alcohol training things. You know they drink. You know people do things. You're busting people in their rooms. You know drugs is around. It's a Jesuit institution, but it doesn't stop everything else from happening and infiltrating yeah. that institution. It is a college campus where you have 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. Come on now. You know what's up. Like, you know, so... Yeah, things are going to happen. You need to change with the times. Like, yeah. just because you have condoms doesn't mean you're condoning sexual activity. It just means that if someone chooses to do it, at least they can do it safely so you don't have people doing what? Having abortions, which you, know, you don't I, want. I <laughs> like, or doing other things, like, you know, or being forced to make certain choices or being put in certain situations because they don't have access to that. Where we have to sneakily go to Tulane... And get well, we don't sneak, but like you have to go over there to yeah, get Yeah, two lanes like right across the street. Yeah, or like you can't talk to the nurses about certain options, but they'll tell you, like, well, we're not supposed to talk about it, but like, you know, like I think I think schools unrealistic. need to, these schools need to revamp. I think Florida's a just uh, Fordham, Fordham University's a uh, Jesuit yeah. school in the middle of the Bronx. Yes, like. well, I know it is because <laughs> like, Vince Lombardi went there, so I think uh, he he. He definitely and talked grandma. about that. And, and my mother graduated with a master's from Fordham. Shout out to my mother. So now you're in school. You took a year off, obviously. So you're not the average kid coming in. Um, we're not going to get into why you took a year off. Yeah. Um, that's another episode, another time. We got to clear that's that deep, through some people. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, but you take a year off. You're in school. You're starting. What is the advice you give these young teenagers that are getting ready to leave home for the first time, whether they come from a big city or small town, going to another state yeah. or another culture, it could be another country, mm-hmm. what is the advice you give them to prepare them to when they get there to adjust and be successful vice, not adjust and fail? I think, like I said, there is a level of autonomy you may not have felt like you had before in your life. So I think remembering that you're your biggest advocate is very important. Um, you are there and you have support systems and you have friends eventually, but you need to be there for you first. And sometimes you got to say what you need to say, you know. You need to be the person to speak up for yourself. If, it, if you need books, if you need resources, if you feel like you want to open up a club or do certain things, you need to be prepared to do that and know that your voice is valuable and make that happen for yourself. Um, I think also making sure that, especially now in these times for a lot of different reasons, making sure that you pick a university you know, you have other reasons why you pick a school and you feel like it's the right one for you, but I think making sure they have really good mental health resources. Like I said, those first few months can be really lonely or you go through a a bunch of changes or a lot of different new experiences, things that you may have never done or seen before when you're at college. And I know a few people, it's a bigger thing than you think, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, And I know when I went abroad, when I'm at my school, there were a lot of issues with the counseling center. A lot of people were doing, they do like a screening day. You'd be surprised how many students were getting screened and had to be sent straight to the counseling center because they may have been severely depressed or were showing signs of something else, you know? And I think for you to feel like your most productive self, your best self, that's one of the things that has to be right, you Mm. know? You have to feel like you can handle it because it can feel overwhelming. And if you don't have an outlet or a place to go, it gets to you. And you then you're, next thing you know, you have to take a break, which is okay. Take your break if you need it. Don't rush into anything. Um, I think that's really important. And get in where you fit in, but don't force yourself somewhere. Like, if you go to university, there is a place for you. Mm-hmm. As, there is. Like don't compromise, your, compromise who you are right. to fit in I, with That's people. not a time to compromise anything. Like, it is a time to find yourself, yes. And sometimes you go through trials and tribulations and you got to do something that isn't for you to realize, okay, that's not for me. But I think being so young, especially going to school, uh, my school, like, you know, going to school, excuse me, like my school in New Orleans, where it's a party city. <laughs> it is a city where you can openly carry alcohol. Uh, and people will find a way. Just because you're 18 doesn't mean you can't get your hands on something, Um, unfortunately. And I've heard things, and I've seen things, because people do not take care of themselves. Like like I said, a lot of people come, they they may come from a background where they have had the privilege of having someone take care of them, where they have people to do things for them, and they don't know what it's like to to not have to do things for themselves. You know, like, um, it sucks, but you're here and you need to be smarter about that. And I've seen people really put themselves in some really risky situations because they were not being smart or yeah. you're following someone else. You know, like this is not a time to do that because it can get really real real quick. I've seen for me um, in in the military when you people join, um, people forget or they change where they come from 
to adapt and and fit in with other groups, right? Um, to have a good like, and not to have a good time, but to fit in because you feel alone. You know, especially when you join the military, you get sent to somewhere right. that you're not from. You think normally. you're past that, but no, yeah, but yeah. you're not. So now, so you you there, you graduated, you're you've you've overcame you've overcame the COVID nineteen situation. Oh, also, my biggest tip is less is more, y'all. Like, give it the first year. You'll start to feel comfortable. But everything you got where you're coming from, there's a Walmart there, too. There's, like, do not go buck wild buying a bunch of stuff and, like, get what you need. Because everything you know what you need already. You've been living. Yeah. You know what you need. So don't get to a place in a dorm and be like, oh, my gosh, like, dorm essential. Like, I must have. Like, no, 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 no. Because guess what? At the end of the year, you need a place to put that in. And guess what? It's either storage if you're a student that's out of town. Or maybe you got a friend like, hey, can you hold my stuff? But that needs to go somewhere. Well, the thing is, I think, I think <laughs> with like, you, we... That's the hardest thing. Like, it took... Or sh- or shipping stuff home. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah, a budget. It's money. It's money. That is money. Like, I think with you, we were all excited. Yeah. You know what I'm no, saying? me too. And I was like, excited. I think you had the refrigerator you could write on with the yeah, chalk that yeah, I, my I friends got loved that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had I, that for a few years. Yeah, yeah. until the, the flooding happened. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, with the rats. And the so, yeah, you know, we all did that. So, now, now you're graduated. You're, you're, you're getting ready to step out into this adulthood and... Pretty much, um, you're growing up. You know, you're, there's there's no more buffer. There's not the student. There's not the. Um, I'm on campus. You're about to. What is your plan? I should say. What are your? What are you? What's your advice to others? Mm-hmm. Why you talk about your plan? You know what I'm saying. So, for yeah. example, um, I got to grow up soon. I got to retire out the Navy here soon, and mm-hmm. I got to grow up, and I don't know what to do with myself. You right. know what I'm saying. Um, I'm educated. I have a degree. I'm working on my master's, but I have to grow up. So I'm in, I'm in the same shoes as you in a sense. Just, you're just a lot uh, right. sooner yeah, than me, yeah. you know? Um, the circle of life. Yeah, exactly. What is your, what are your plans and what would you advise kids that are juniors going into their senior year right now, getting ready to graduate, thinking, man, do I got to stay in school and do a master's? Yeah. Um, we're not going to get into statistical numbers, even though I have them. I don't want to because it's very disparaging. Like it's very like <laughs> oh yeah, with the yeah, yeah, which groups go to yeah, which, which group know. goes where and having a bachelor's like having a high school diploma now. Everybody has one and yeah, you gotta and get master's and doctorate. Yeah. So you graduated. You're visiting family. You're you're getting yourself giving yourself time. What are your plans and your advice for the people that are going to senior year, getting ready to graduate? So the normal question when this comes to this point in your life is, what are you gonna do? Oh, yeah? Like, what are you thinking about? What did you study? What are you going to do with that? Um, I went to school for English um, with a concentration in creative writing. At the time, when I applied to school, it made sense because I loved writing and I loved reading. And writing, I've been told, is something that I'm really good at. Um, and it just made sense. A lot of people do that. Um, and it and it took me a little while to realize that my passions or certain things kind of lied elsewhere you know like by the time I was a sophomore or junior I realized that man maybe I should have did like criminology and justice um I actually had a professor that was like Sharice are you in the criminology criminology department I'm like oh no I just really like your classes um but I think that's the good thing about a well-rounded education and a liberal arts education is that I could take classes and all these things and kind of make it work for me and show me all these perspectives um all that to say is that I really really do want to be an activist, um, and I think that's like a really general term. Sometimes it's like when some you ask someone like, "What do they want to be?" and they're like an entrepreneur, and it's like, "What does that mean?" Um, but I want to help people. I realize there are two things that I like: I like writing, and I like helping people. I'm a really passionate person when it comes to injustice, and I've always been that way. Like I remember when I was in elementary school, and my friend Theodore, somebody he was German and Dominican, or German and Hispanic. I won't say I don't. I can't remember what his ethnicity was, but I know he was German. Um, and somebody drew a swastika and sent it to him in class, and he was crying. And I was like, Theodore, was wrong? And he's like, you know, he showed it to me. And at that time, even at that age, I knew what that meant. And I was the one that went to a teacher and said, look, this is what they did to Theodore, and Theodore is not strong enough, you know, to, to tell you guys himself. So I think that's always been there inside of me. And now I'm getting to the place where I realize that it's my calling. Um, it is something, I have a lot to say about a lot of things. Um, I know how to express myself clearly, I believe. Um, so 
now I'm like, how do I marry those two things? You know, I spoke with one of my professors. She's like, you know, when I was an undergrad, I did English too, you know? Yeah. And now she is a part of the sociology department and she teaches, you know, race, racism, and privilege, um, social problems, all of these things. And she opened up her own organization called Ninyasa where she helps children, um, with their reading level. And she, like, I think one of the projects she did recently was turning the Greek classics um, into stories for black children so they, mm-hmm. they can see themselves represented and having artists, you know, and I think that's really dope. And she's yeah. like, she's like, you know, I didn't know. She's like, and, and this is where I'm at now. And she has a book and she does all these things. Um, I don't have any interest in academia in the sense that I want to be a professor at all and work for a school, not really. But that's where I'm at, trying to see, like, what does that look like for Cherise? How can Cherise marry those two things? And what can I contribute to the world Mm -hmm. in that way? Because I do feel like I have something to contribute, and everyone should feel like that because everyone is different and has something to offer. Um, And the only thing I can think about when people ask me that, it really feels like a passion of mine, which is I want to create my own literary magazine, um, and I want the magazine to be centered around, like, uh, you know, voices, but like Mm -hmm. people of color and I want it to be protest art, but I don't want it to just be, you know, writing. Like I want it to also have art and I want it to have, you know, interviews and like I want it to have multiple dimensions, but I want the focus to be protest art and I want it to feature voices of color. Um, And I want my platform to be something where an emerging artist, writer, or somebody, no matter what age, is like, I want to do this and they may not have the resources, but I'm I'm here to say, I got you. You know, you want to apply to this place, and they're like, no, because you're new and you don't have anything. I'm here to believe in you. I have you. I'll feature you. No problem. Say the word. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm there for. And I would like that to become a thing where it's a platform where eventually I can work for other causes, you know, be on panels, talk to other people, help other people connect, connect with other people, you know, get my hands in other causes and do things like that. Um, and I would like to have a podcast feature. I feel like that would be dope to just you know, talk to people that I work with or like talk about, you know, converse, have conversations. I think that's really important to have conversations about a lot of our problems that we're facing um, because it can it can be that simple. I think direct action is very important, but I think also just being willing to make the space to have conversations is equally as important. And that's kind of something I want to do. Um, and I think what I would say to anyone is that um, I know some people that I graduated with and I look at them, and they, I think you're amazing. Like you have it planned out you look, you know, you've been ready, like you've been ready, like, you know, and that's wonderful. Like you have a path when you get out, but that's not the narrative for everyone for a lot of reasons. And it doesn't have to be. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm really hard on myself because I'm hard on myself and I don't give myself credit for the things I have achieved. And I feel like it's not enough, you know, but for the people that feel that way, I want you to have a moment and tell yourself that it was enough and you've done something that maybe someone else hasn't been able to do. And that's remarkable within itself. Um, Two, like, to believing in yourself, you know, like you don't always have to do and you don't always have to be on and do stuff because your path is going to be different. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that should just, you know, deter you or discourage you, you know. And I think the hardest thing about me being in the space of like, I don't know what I want, but I kind of I kind of know what I want and I just don't know where to go. Again, like I said before, you have to take things into your own hands and I have a problem doing that. And I think the problem comes from me not believing in myself enough or not feeling like. I deserve those things. I Mm -hmm. think you have to feel that way because then you're just going to sit there and you may settle or you may feel more stuck and more defeated and feel like you did all these things, put in all this time, money, resources, blood, sweat, and tears into something for you to end up here and not having anything, you know? And that can feel really down. You feel Mm -hmm. drained. Like, I don't know what to do, especially in this climate and this time. I do feel like my generation, I I don't like to use the word sensitive. I think we're empathetic. We see things and we're not afraid to see it and say something. Mm -hmm. But we feel a lot of things and we're bombarded with information daily. And I just feel like to be this age in this time, it's just, it can be a lot. You can be suffocated. You can feel like I have to do all these things or like I feel like I'm constantly seeing people's successes but not their failures, Mm -hmm. you know? So what am I doing? Um, and if you ask yourself, what am I doing? Ask, you know, what are you doing? But I think the hardest part of that, after the confidence and stuff, is just starting. You know, you may fail or you may not, but you will not know until you do it. And I think that's my problem too. I want all these things, but I'm not doing what I need to do every day to get there. You know, like asking the right questions or connecting with the right people. Like when you go to school, you have 
a network, you mm-hmm. know? The people that you meet, your class, your classmates, your friends, that's your network. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's going to be doing different things, and you got to keep in contact. Right. Um, um, or your alumni, you know? Don't be afraid to look at your school's alumni association and hit people up. That's what they're there for. Um, I know my school has a, an alumni charter in every state, you know, for the most part. And that's what they're there for. So if you feel like you don't know... No one knows. <laughs> like, that's just really true. And now's the time to really, like, especially after you did it, you did it. You got the cap and gown. You got the degree. Now you need to really focus on wh- who do you want to be? What do you want? And don't be afraid to take time for you. Like, you know, um, some people can't afford that. Some people can. But I don't think it should be a thing where you look at it that way because I think it's something you need to do to get to where you need to be, mm-hmm. you know? No more like feeling half. You want to feel whole. You want to make sure you got your stuff. And I think that's where I'm at right now where I'm tired undergrad, especially that last semester. I was I took 21 credits both semesters to finish because I made some mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. And that was my commitment to myself. No matter what, I'm going to finish. And I did. Um, and I'm tired. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I, I think, um... <laughs> and I need to get, you know, there's a lot that I need to work on internally in order to, to be the Sharice I want to mm-hmm. be. And I think that's that's what I, I'm doing. So I, I hope think, that's the question. No, you did. You did answer the question. I, um, I've always told people to be you. Do you. Always be true to yourself. Never change who you are. And um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, two friends of mine from high school. I'm not going to say the name because I didn't get permission to to say the names. But oh, right. I've just been throwing people's names yeah, out. Yeah, no, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, I didn't use last names. I'm not going <laughs> to use his government. I used to call him Blue. And Blue, you know, he, he was different. And uh, we, we reconnected and we have a, a, a chat going. And, and I told him I appreciated him and thanked him for never forcing me to be somebody I wasn't in high school to fit in. You know, he mm-hmm. they accepted me for who I was. And I tell your brother... And sister, the same thing. Be always true to you. Don't be something you're not. Because people can see the real people can see the fake. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and real recognize real in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I think you did great. I think you answered the question. I, I want to say that if from my point of view to wrap things up, is I'm proud of you. You know, uh, at the end of the day, oh, thanks, in, in the in the second episode, I said me and your mom uh being teen parents, we don't there's no book for this. There's nothing that we can say, this how you do it. Um, me and your mom might not see eye to eye on certain things, but guess what? I, I One thing I will say, she did her thing with making sure that you have what you needed to get to where you got to get to. And 23 years later, here you are. You know what I'm saying? You didn't have a kid at 17 or 15 like her and I did. You finished high school. You went to college and set the bar for your siblings and your cousins to show them that I can do it. Um, and, and to a certain extent, they have more than you did growing up in a sense. So there's no excuse for them not to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I like the fact that you're saying to be true, know a path. If you don't know it, cool, but have an idea. Um, and get out there and try it. I, I, I'm this this podcast was my what took so long for me to do it was my insecurity whether people are gonna listen to it or not. Right. So first video gets 103, 133 views. My second one on YouTube gets like eight or whatever. And I don't care. You know why? Because I'm going to keep doing it. And somebody will. I mean, everyone started somewhere. And I think that's the other thing. I'll keep it short and sweet. But in our age, like, we have technology. We have influencers. We have people that, you know, have a gathering. There's a gathering for everyone. Someone will listen to you at some point. Um, You have the material. Like, your phone has so much power. Like, you can do so much with your phone. And I think that's like completely different than what you know years before. This generation being what gen what what are we Gen X or something? Who knows? Who knows? I know it's millennials and it's Gen X or whatever. Um, we grew up in the information boom, like the technology boom. You know, mm-hmm. like I, you know, comp- the internet started computers, and I saw the rise of all of that technology. So for us, we have a skill and a power. Even if we're not going to be IT people, it doesn't matter. We know how to use this. Yeah. Like, Yo, like fun fact, your mom took me to the launch of Yahoo in Manhattan. Me and your mom really? were dating. And your mom <laughs> took me to the launch of Yahoo. She said, Frank, she was working uh, in Amsterdam for some local little uh, newspaper thing oh, yeah, in I Manhattan. Remember, yeah. I forgot the name of it. And we started, and that's when we were dating. And she was like, oh, let's go to this thing. And we went. And mm-hmm. it was Yahoo, like the launch yeah. of Yahoo. Yeah. And Yahoo. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think back to that, and I'm like, wow, you know, your mom was that person that yeah. put me onto it. And, but 
to wrap it up, like I said, I, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. I, I think you did great. And, and, you know, I always support you. I always will support you. I'm not one to force things down your throat um, because my parents didn't force it down my throat. Right. Um, and keep pushing. And if this is something you want to do, like a podcast, I think you should do it. Mm -hmm. I think, like I said, I'll buy you the microphone. You could plug it in and right. your random thoughts, people will listen. Trust me. Yeah, a lot of people have told me, like, I totally listen to you, like, for real. Like, I love hearing you talk. Um, you can do what I did. I did a poll on, on Facebook. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're the sources. But yeah. before I go, I just want to say, um, I want to give a shout out to my man, uh, Randall Corporan. We put him in the Navy back in like 2000 something. He created his own website. It's on uh, etsy.com and they sell little handmade crafts and vintage items. It's a small business. He's starting up. Try him out. Give him a shout out. Look it up. Again, it's etsy.com and he is called the, the business called Perfect 10 by, by Randall Corporan. You can check on etsy.com, Etsy, I guess. And it's perfect 10. Check them out. They have little trinkets on there, handmade stuff that you can buy for family members and give them a shout out. Again, uh, I want to say thank you to my daughter for allowing me to put her on this and give her two cents. Uh, thank you for the listeners and the information and feedback you guys have been giving it. And this is Unsolicited Advice with Frank. Have a good day. Bye.